You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Will Matheny's interview with actor Russell Hornsby from The Hate You Get. Man, you coming at me for my music, but you listen to this old stuff. Old stuff? What? Better get up out of here with all that pockets of truth. Well, I got a boyfriend. Yeah, I heard, but it's all good. Really? We've been together our whole lives, Star. We got time. My name is Star. Two R's. Daddy named me that. Garden Heights. Mama and Daddy says our life is here because our people are here. We got Mr. Rubin's Barbecue, Mr. Lewis's Barbershop, and Daddy's Store. The high school is where you go to get junk, high, or pregnant. We don't go there. Williamson is another world, so when I'm here, I'm Star version 2. Yo, those kids are lit. Basically, Williamson Star doesn't give anyone a reason to call her ghetto. And I hate myself for doing it. Until the weekend comes around. I get those goosebumps every time. What's up? Where you been at? Now I know you be hanging with all the white kids. Shut up. when you're not around, when you go that to the Out of the car. Yo, Star, you okay? Go back where he told you. Khalil, I'm not playing. Go back where... <laughs> what did you do? Today, Garden Heights is reeling after the shooting of a 17-year-old black teenager by a white police officer. We live in a complicated world. It doesn't seem that complicated to me. Violence, brutality. It's the same story, just a different name. When I attack with impact, it's real tactful. The back cat waited and sat, debated to... It's best if she don't talk to father. He's threatening her. It's about more than just color. It's about black people, poor people, everybody at the bottom. I need to speak for him. You would think we could never achieve the inconceivable. We don't belong, but we here unbelievable. When you're ready to talk, you talk. Don't ever let nobody make you be quiet. I ain't named you Star by accident. Hello, everyone. You're listening to an episode of the Next Best Picture podcast. I'm your host, Will Mavity. And with me, I have Russell Hornsby, who's been generating waves with his incredible performance as the father, Maverick, in Fox's The Hate You Give. Russell, how you doing, man? I'm doing really well. Doing really well. It's a wonderful Friday morning here. So, you know, we've we've seen you mainly on stage in productions like Fences. I mean, we've seen you in Grimm. But this is one of the first big film roles you ended up with. And it's it's punched you right into the Oscar conversation. How did you end up with George Tillman on this project? Like, how did Mav come to you? Well, you know, I was, you know, I'm still at the place in my career where you know, you have agents and managers submit you for jobs. And I had no, this, this film, this project was not on my radar, nor was the book. And while I was in New York last year doing um, seven seconds, I got, they sent the, uh, the script. And what really got me is they said, Russell, here's the script. You have to read it. And they want you to, they want you to be put on tape and you have to turn around by tomorrow morning, basically 18 hours from right now. Oh God. And, you know, after I finished, you know, cussing them out, uh, <laughs> you know, just because yeah, as an actor, you want to be able to, you know, work on your uh, auditions. I realized I just had to dive into it. And once I read the opening salvo, that opening moment between the, the talk that just grabbed me 
and I realized, okay, I can offer something to this. I put myself on tape. A couple weeks later, I'm in front of George uh, having lunch, and we're talking about the script. We're talking about the character. And I, I'm a very passionate person just by nature. And I just looked George dead in the eye, and I said, George, you're not going to find anybody who can play this better than me. I'm telling you. <laughs> and and he, you know, he shook his head like, okay, I hear you. And then I, I, del I delve into a monologue from an August Wilson play, the King, Hel King Henry II, which is a very similar character to Maverick, very grounded and very naturalistic and, you know, from the quote-unquote hood and whatnot. And he was taken aback by that. So, you know, now from that moment, I had to, we had to go prove it to Fox. And after another audition, a couple, oh, like a week later, I put my hair in cornrows, everything like you see at the top of the movie, and... I think that's what sold him, you know, had a wonderful audition. And then, you know, the interesting thing was in the middle, after the middle of the audition, he says, Russell, do you mind learning? Can you, you know, do another scene? I said, yes. He said, we want you to do the opening monologue from the movie. Oh my God. You know, he said, well, no, no, take your time. Go take your time. You know, you know that it is like, take your time and hurry up. <laughs> so I went into the other, in the office, one of the offices and he says, don't worry about it. You can, you know, you can have your, you know, you can have the script you know, in front of you. And I was just like seething underneath, you know what I mean? Like I'm calling him every name, but the child of God. <laughs> I go into the room 20 minutes later, I come out, I have the whole thing memorized and I laid it. Oh. And uh, you know, but that's the theater training. That's me being the theater actor I am and saying, okay, this is a challenge. I'm gonna take this challenge on and here we go. God damn. Well, why don't we talk a little bit about that scene, honestly, because were you ever given the talk, and if so, how did yours differ? Yeah, the, I'm sorry. The the talk for me and my brother, my, we were raised in a single-parent household. My mother uh, raised my brother and I. And there was never just this, like, the sit-down and, and tell you what's kind of going on. There were more sort of just lessons along the way. So... Uh, you know, once you start getting into mischief as a kid, you know, you know, uh, ping somebody's house, stealing apples from somebody's tree, that's when mom would start buffering it by saying, listen, you know, if you think you're going to be, you know, one of these kids that goes right here and gets in trouble, I, you know, I don't recommend that because, you know, the cops, you know, when they take, they take black boys like you and they take them to jail, you know, yeah. I grew up in a mixed, um, neighborhood so I had I had white friends and black friends and so my mother would tell us they'll send your white friends home and they'll send you to jail mm. and so that was the common refrain for my mom as I was growing up and as you're growing up it gets more layered and more detailed but it started with that you'll go to jail well they'll go home you you, you know you fight they'll send you to juvie they'll send your, your white counterparts home you know, juvenile hall. That's how that's how it was sort of explained to us. And then as we got older, we got, as I said, it became more detailed um, and more explicit. <laughs> so you had that intense scene, which I'm sure was one of the most difficult to do in the film. Mm -hmm. What went into creating Mav for you before you even got on screen? You know, I, uh, you know, as I said, being from the theater, Will, uh, I wanted 
I was fortunate because the, the the material was so rich and the character was so rich and depth and, and and deep and detailed. I knew that I had to approach it as I would uh, a play, and which means I had to unpack the whole script, just break it all the way down, and really find the character. And so, in in doing that, I sequestered myself for a month. I have a wife. I have two children. I asked my wife, and she was very open to it, if she if she wouldn't mind going to her 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 parents' house um, while I stay home and prepare. And what I looked at that time while I was home, I looked at it as that that was Mav's incarceration. You know, that was him being that was his imprisonment. You know, I had to sort of um, model that. You know, that feeling of being isolated, of being in prison. And so you do the same things that one would. I wanted to sort of follow that pattern. You read, you write, you listen to what music that you can get a hold of. You, you know, all your, you're only, you're left with your own thoughts. And those thoughts that I'm left with are thoughts about the character. We, you know, I write the detailed backstory. I write, you know, what his relationship with his father was like, his relationship with his mother. Uh, what he did when he was a kid, all through adolescence and all through, you know, um, young adulthood into adulthood. How does the him being in prison impact him now? What does Mav want to do when he gets out? And all that uh, corresponds with aspects of the book and aspects of uh, the screenplay so that you have a fully fleshed out, fully realized character with a, a depth and breadth that that a soul can reach. And uh, and so you come out on the other end of 30 days later, I went in, you know, a caterpillar, I came out a butterfly. <laughs> so it's, I mean, it sounds like you went pretty much method with this. Were there any moments in the film where it felt like you weren't even acting? It was almost just you? You know, uh, honestly, the whole film was that. And, you know, George was very kind enough to allow us two and a half weeks of rehearsal. And so we were able to really bond as a family and, and as a cast. And I didn't realize how deep we were in the into the roles and into the movie until we had to come back and reshoot and bring in KJ Appa because it was so difficult to find in the reshoots for me to find Mav again. And so Regina Hall and I were talking about it. I said, babe, we were in this, weren't we? She said, yeah, honey. We were really, <laughs> like, we were really in this world. You know, we were, you know, acting as a family. Regina and I just had such a loving relationship as like, a, as like a husband, as a husband and wife. The way we communicated with each other, the way we worked together as, as two actors, dealing with the, the kids, you know, who played, uh, the actors who played our kids. We were just really in it. The, uh, the community, all this, all the extras, everything, like they just enveloped the, they enveloped us. They brought, they took us in and we were under that, uh, that sheet of protection, you know, that cloak of protection, that hedge of protection from everybody. And we were just in the world of the hate you give. And it was, you know, it's it, it, when and when I when it was over, I realized, wow, I had, I had really given over, given up myself in a way that I had not done in a long time. 
Well, so in, in a role that, in a film that everybody gets so into, I I imagine that also means with heavy subject matter that like emotions and tensions were high. Was it was it difficult being in a set where everybody's so into it, so passionate and tackling something so weighty? Uh, actually, well, it was the opposite. You know, to be honest with you, I think everybody understood what the subject matter was. Everybody understood what we were there to do. And the truth of it is, Will, we were able to have so much fun. I mean, and I say that there was never a moment of like tension after cut. You know, um, when when e after each take or after each scene, we were able to let that go and start telling jokes and laughing at each other and poking fun. And then once rolling came, rolling, everybody got back. Everybody got back to where they needed to be, got into it. Action, let's go, let's do it and then cut, and we were back to being our joyous, fun-loving self. Because, Will, because the truth of the matter is, Will, th this subject matter is not new to us in black. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so the truth is, we always have to find joy inside the pain. We always have to find joy inside the tears, as Stevie Wonder says, you know? So we we weren't dour. We, were, we didn't feel burdened emotionally by, like, Oh, we had this big responsibility. Everybody came with their A-game. Everyone was prepared. So in light of that, we were just able to have fun and be really um, a family on set. Well, and that shows in the film, honestly, because it goes from such heavy material to a hilarious moment where you first meet Star's boyfriend, which yes. is <laughs> one of the funniest moments I've seen on screen this year. Thank so. You. I mean, you, you guys are able to, to go back and forth so deftly on tone. Because the film does make itself, um, you know, it, it is a, it's a very accessible film to mainstream audiences. Is there anything you wish the film could have gone deeper into, tackled theme-wise? You know, um, at possibly, but then we wouldn't have the film we have. And I do think it is important that the film be accessible because what we're really trying to do, Will, ultimately is change hearts and minds, you know? Yeah. And so you can, you know, you have to meet people where they are, you know? And, and so I think that was the objective uh, of, I think, the way George approached the film is to meet people where they are and give them an opportunity to see a different side of black life, do you know, a different side of black culture. And if we don't, and, and if we don't, and if we don't come as the film, metaphorically speaking with the film, with our arms open, do you know, yeah. if we have to force the audience to open our arms to, to, you know, to grab hold and say, you're come in, then people won't receive it well, I believe. I really believe that. Mm. And I hope that this is a start of different kinds of conversation, different dialogue. I hope that uh, it brings about a level of understanding and empathy that will invoke that kind of uh, dialogue. Uh, but you can only do it if you do it by not pointing fingers. That was the whole thing. We didn't want to point fingers and say you were to blame. We just wanted to say... Look at how we are. Look at how we live, and we have the, we have these fundamental um, obstacles, but we also have these fundamental truths and similarities in our lives and in our culture that are the same.
you know. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's the, the saying goes, well, when I was in, um, in high school, my religion teacher, Mr. Harper, I, I've been saying this a lot, but it, it, it's worth repeating. You know, we used to walk around with these t- with these T-shirts that say it's a black thing you wouldn't understand. Right mm-hmm. now. Now, that's the movie. Now, that, now, look at that and say that's part of the film having a different tone. Right. So I walk around with a T-shirt that says it's a black thing you wouldn't understand. So what I do is I, my tone pushes you away. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So if you if you take on that same tone from the filmic standpoint, what we end up doing is pushing people away. So what my religion teacher taught us in light of us walking around with those T-shirts, he says, gentlemen, I disagree. I actually think you're wrong. He said, it's not a black thing you wouldn't understand. It's a black thing. Let me help you understand. Mm. Right. So now what we do, Will, is we change the tone. And so in in just doing that, we invite you in and you feel welcome. And so now you don't have the same level of possible resentment or a a feeling of being um, put upon or fingers pointed. You say, okay, let me step in and see what they're talking about. So there's a new, there's a willingness now because we're saying, let me help you understand. Would you say, I mean, this sounds like this was a, I mean, you remember this guy from 10th grade. Would you say there was any of him in Mav? Is he kind of a, a, a mentor for you as well? He, he was, you know, um, Mav reflects a lot of the men that helped me become the man I am. But, but what, what, more importantly, with this Mr. Harper, and a lot of men who helped raise me, what it what that that is in map, it's the candor. It's being forthright, it's being truthful, it's being direct. That's important. I think also my, I was raised at a time when you were seen and not heard. Mm. I was raised at a time when men and women, mothers, fathers, uncles, aunts told you exactly what was on their mind, and you had to deal with it. So if you were wrong, they would tell you you were wrong. They told you with love, but they told you you're wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. There was no sugarcoating it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you're wrong. And, this is, and so Mav is a throwback to that, to that time. Where, hey, kids, star, seven, I love you, but you're wrong. So let's, let's get this straight. Let's fix it. And again, these are, you can't, but you can't have that kind of candor, that kind of truth, if you're not present every day in your kids' lives. Yeah. And so Mav is able to do that because he's present in his kids' lives. He's there for their mother. He's there for his wife. He's present for the community. So when he speaks, people listen because he's respected by everybody, by all those around him. And that's the image that I wanted to put forth uh, of black men that we are represented well in our community, we are present in our community, and we're there, and we're an integral, integral part of our community. Trying to make some sense out of it. It's thug life. The hate you give little infants. F's everybody. I know what it stands for. What do you think it means? 
think it's about us. Us who? Black people. Poor people, everybody at the bottom. Right, you want it? Pac was trying to school us on how the system's designed against us. Why else you think so many people in our neighborhood deal? They need the money. Yeah. And they no real jobs around here. So they fall into the trap. Through all this, because, you know, you, you've created this respected figure, but he has so many layers, so many elements. Was there a moment that was most difficult to pull off as Mav? Uh, yes, there, there was. I, I think possibly two. But obviously the most challenging uh, off was, the, was, the, was the talk because that I had a visceral reaction when we went to shoot. I had to leave the set for about 20 minutes and mm. just purge my tears because I couldn't stop thinking about my boys as I'm looking at these two children that I have to give this, this talk to. How old are your kids? My kids are three and one. Oh, okay. They're very young. And one of those things where you know, and I got two boys, and I said, "I'm this is this is this is painful," and because I I look I substituted my boys for the for those kids, and I said, "This is this hurts." Mm. So I had to I had to regroup, find my you know regain my strength, and come back and be there for those kids. You know that that was that was one scene, and. You know, the the other was that lawn scene. Mm, the lineup scene? Yeah, the lineup scene, because again, well, I had to restrain from showing any emotion. You know, I had to restrain myself, refrain from showing any visible, uh, no waterworks, basically. Mm. Because I'm trying to impart to them that you have an opportunity that I didn't have. And in that, you have to be strong. And um, because, it, you know, the thing, the, 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 real, the reality of it is, Will, that wasn't Mav talking to Star 7 and Sakani. That was Russell talking to Amanda, Lamar, and, and TJ. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's, it was more of that. It was more, it was a real, it was me as an elder statesman saying to these younger, beautiful, talented, bright kids that you have to take this baton that I'm giving you, and you have to run that race now. You know, you the, what you see in Amanda, the kind of activism, feminism that she's showing, is her taking that baton. And she's on the cover of Time, isn't she? Absolutely. That's yeah. what I mean. She represents that next generation. And so it was Russell saying to them, it's your time now. Embrace it. Take it to a different level. Take it to a different place. Be about change. Speak out. Don't be afraid. You guys, you guys have it in you, and that it was, it was, and that what it was hard because I'm an emotional feeling person, and I wanted to just, I wanted to cry and hug them in that moment. I really did. As Russell, I wanted to take them in my arms and say, "I love you. I believe in you. You can do it." That's what I wanted to. Sh that's what that's what that moment meant for me. It was a passing of the baton. You know what I mean? Like, literally and figuratively. I'm getting chills just hearing this right now. <laughs> it's, al it's almost like you just gave me a monologue. That was awesome. Which does make me wonder, what do you want to do next? You know, people people know your name. People know Russell Hornsby yeah. now. Um, I know you're in Creed, too, later this year, right? Yes, yes. Um, 
You know, I and, and again, this is not me trying to be to self-aggrandize, but I really feel that I possess something very unique. Uh, and, and what I mean by that, because of my theater training, because of my background and my extensive time in the theater, and but because of the man or the actor I've developed into, I feel I have that lovely mix of being a leading man, a leading character actor. Do you know? Yeah. I be barefaced character, I mean, barefaced man, everyday guy, you know, in the vein of like an Ezekiel Rollins or something like that. But I can also, I can also put on the nose. I can, I can transform into uh, a whole different character, a whole host of different people. I can be funny. I can, you know, just do, just play characters, change voices and, you know, surprise people and, <laughs> you know, all these kinds of things where people don't really understand who I am and, you know, all of those <laughs> things. Uh, I'm almost schizophrenic in that way, you know? But, um, yeah, so <laughs> it's, um, that's in me. And I want to show all of, uh, all those facets uh, of my creativity that way, because that's how I, that, that, that is, that's my artistry. That's my gift to the community is, is me absorbing all of these aspects of humanity and then internalizing it and then giving it back and putting a mirror up to society, a mirror up to the community, a mirror up to humankind, you know, and, and, and in saying to people, what do you see? Mm. Who, what does this mean to you? That's, that's what my objective is. So I want to play roles that are challenging roles that are dynamic Roles that are cause me to go to a greater depth uh, of my artistry that haven't been, you know, displayed up to this point. Uh, you know, as I said, I mentioned Easy Rollins. I'm really, I would love to revive that series that Denzel Washington brought to life so brilliantly in Devil in a Blue Dress. Oh, wow. That's really a, a hope and a goal of mine to do that. I would love to go back to the stage. I would. I have this dream of playing Stanley Kowalski in The Streetcar Named Desire. Oh my God, you know, great. Uh, at some point. I would love to do a version of Edward Albee's uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf on the stage. I feel I have something to offer. You know, there's all these things that are in my bailiwick um, that I really feel that I can bring a, a different spin to that people will take and, and receive. And learn and get and gain something from. Well, do you have any projects lined up we haven't heard about so far? After uh, after the affair in Creed Two. In Creed Two, well, right now I'm in Chicago working on a um, a television series called Proven Innocent, and I, I play a lawyer in that who's uh, working to uh, um, you know right the wrongs of the uh, the wrongfully convicted, and so. That's going to be on Fox starting in January. We're shooting this 13 episodes. That's fantastic. And but you know, right now, honestly, will it's I want, I'm being patient. I think yeah. for me, it's wise to have a wait and see approach because because film can be so dynamic, because film can be so influential. You really want to take your time and and select the next film role film lead or supporting lead that's out there for, for, for me. Have you considered any musicals with your love of the stage and we're in the middle of a musical resurgence right now? You know, I, I would, but here's the thing. I would need, I, I don't, I can't sing <laughs> a, as well 
You know what I mean? So yeah. it's that full thing of it would I would have to become a star. And so we we would it would be Guys and Dolls starring Russell Hornsby as Scott. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I could like sell I can sell the hell out of a song. You know sure. what I mean? Sure. I can't necessarily sing to the heavens, you know. Of course. But I can sell a song because I'm so theatrical. And I can I can hum, I can hold a tune. But it would have to be, oh my God, we're here to see Russell Hornsby. <laughs> this is great. You know what I mean? So when they're so much more in love with seeing me than they are hearing my, <laughs> uh, my velvet tones, you know what I mean? I mean, I am no um, Leslie Odom Jr., for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, uh, Russell Crowe got away with it in Les Mis, and I'm sure you sound better than that, so. Oh, oh yeah, no, I, I could totally get down. I, I, <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, I, would, I would love the challenge, though. I would really would. I would really embrace the challenge. Well, we're almost out of time here, but before I go, I mean, you, you've, you've appeared on all over the talk show circuit. You've done a lot of interviews. What has no one asked you that you wish they would about the hate you give and your performance so far? You know, um, wow, just what it, what it, I, wow, what it means to me, what this film means to me. You know, we, we rarely, will we really get these opportunities to tell our truth, to tell our truth our way. And this is, I, I felt like it, it, it's one of those rare opportunities that we, it's that we didn't get it right or wrong we got it truthful. Hmm. And that's and that's why it means so much to me because we were honest and truthful and authentic in that. And because there is only truth. And so I think that I'm impacted by it in such a way because I do feel the love and the truth that we put forth in the film. But it, And so it means that kids will be able to see it from here to beyond, it, it, it means that we're leaving a lasting legacy in the, in the film, you know, for, for in the broader sense for the film community. I mean, this has, now I feel that I'm a part of some, of history almost. This has the same, I hope it has the same, um, uh, it um, leaves the same um, example as like Boys in the Hood. Oh, wow. Uh, because Boys in the Hood, I know what I'm saying. I hope it defines a generation the way Boys in the Hood did mm. for me. Boys in the Hood defined my generation coming up, you know, and I hope that this film is able to do that for this generation. And they can, we can look back in 20 years and say that was a seminal film at a very important time. Uh, and it, and it, it raised a collective consciousness and uh, brought people together. And however small... A fashion, but it still brought them together. I'm so glad that you brought us this film and this character. Um, you know, it's. I look forward to seeing you throughout the rest of the season. If you haven't seen the film yet, to our listeners, I implore you to go check it out because you will not be disappointed. And Russell, I wish you best of luck this season and on your future on-screen roles. I hope we do one day have get to a point where people say, I'm going to go see this musical because Russell Hornsby's in it. So, <laughs> Thank you, Will. I appreciate it. I really do. Best of luck, man. And you have a wonderful rest of the fall. All right. You too. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Will Navity's interview with Russell Hornsby from The Hate You Give, which is now currently playing in theaters. You can subscribe to the Next Best Picture podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, 
Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, CastBox, Acast, and now recently on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes to let us know what you think of the show. And if you're feeling generous, head on over to Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.